This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Bellman Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk away from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Pataudry for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round, and get fired in with our exclusive discounts. Head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pound of Foster's, a £4 for a pint of Moretti or Dark Fruits, or £5 for a pint of Fierce or a Daiquiri any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds. Red slight of foot there. Hello and welcome along to episode 135 of the ABZ Football Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Gary Scott, and joining me this evening it is the one and the only Graeme Steele. Graeme, how's it going, mate? Well, 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 well. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's um, going to be, I guess, another busy one here in the ABZ FP. We're going to take a look back at our humbling humping at the hands of Celtic on Sunday in the cinch we'll check in with our loanies and loan watch and then after the break we are pleased to bring in this one it's just a shame we can't bring in slightly more positive circumstances uh, part one of our exclusive interview with former Don's number one and club captain is of course the unforgettable Joe Lewis but first Celtic 6 6 Aberdeen nil. Sunday the 12th of November 2023 Celtic Park in the cinch four changes from the side that drew 2-2 in Greece on Thursday evening with Paul Vara, Clarkson, Miofsky and Johnny Hayes coming in. Connor Barron, Duke and Duncan dropping out, as did Jamie McGrath with a rumoured hamstring injury. Fingers crossed that's not going to be too serious. Otherwise, Gav might catch up on the leaderboard by dint of McGrath just not playing. Um, and we can't be having that at Calvin Graham. Absolutely not. No, definitely not. So please, Jamie, if you can, um, a quick return. And also just to help the team would be good as well. Um, the Dons, once again, in their 4-5-1 shape. And let's be fucking honest here, completely passive, straight from the off. Roos required to stop from Kyogo after just three minutes before we eventually did fall behind on eight minutes, lasting a whole eight minutes there, Graham, before we fell behind today. A ball from Palma evading everyone across the six-yard box, including a flapping Kyle Roos. And Yang snuck in behind an oblivious Jack McKenzie to open the scoring. Uh, Garteman then with a free header from a Clarkson free kick, but he nodded well over the bar. Joe Hart not tested in the slightest by that one. Kyogo making it two for the hosts on 15 minutes, O'Reilly finding acres of space in the box to cut back for the Japanese striker to tap home. Hayes then, I guess, with our best chance of the afternoon, breaking through onto a through ball from Povara, but like, let's be quite blunt about it, much of his performance. This was a poor effort, nowhere near the goal. Um, halftime, 2-0. And to be quite frank, it was a miracle. It was only two at halftime. Into the second half, uh, Rubicic strongly winning a 50-50 contest, a contest with Kyogo. The pair clashing heads in the follow-through. Ruby booked in the aftermath. Kyogo forced on the pitch after that one. To be fair, I don't think I would be on the receiving end of that one either. The Dons then managing to string a few passes together in this opening 15 minutes. And we actually fashioned a half chance for Boyamiowski after Devlin's low cross found the North Macedonian, but his flick was easily held by Hart. 
Celtic once again through dominating possession and territory. Getting a penalty after a lengthy VAR check with Kenzie having slid into O after the attacker had got his shot away. A harsh one, maybe. I don't know. It's unclear these days what the fuck is or isn't a penalty kick, isn't it, Graham? Yeah, I've I've literally no idea because you'll see you'll see that particular type of challenge next uh, obviously not next weekend because it's the national weekend. But that'll happen in a couple of weeks' time and it won't be. So who knows? No idea. But Palmer converts. All we should say is obviously that has no bearing on the absolute scudding that we took. None at all. Palmer converting the penalty kick and a rarity for Aberdeen fans as Kelrus dived the right way for it, but still couldn't keep it out. Duncan all for Povara in the aftermath before Duke and Barron replaced Shinny and Hayes on 80 minutes. Quite how either Shinny or in particular Hayes last to 80 minutes is beyond this supporter, but never mind. With 10 minutes of injury time to play the Dons, Completely and utterly capitulated Turnbull with a low strike that saw Rusin slow motion attempt to stop it before O added a double to make it 6-0 to the home side at full time. On the data front, possession 78% to Celtic, 22% to the visitors. Shots 21-3. to Shots on target 10-1. to Expected goals 4.27 to a solitary not 0.17 for Aberdeen. And here's one for you, Graham. This is an interesting one. Passes in the final third today, Celtic 327. Aberdeen successful passes in the entirety of the game, anywhere, 225. That's higher than I thought it might be. Yeah, indeed. And not the Celtic stat. No. So, Graham, um, our heaviest defeat at Celtic Park since? No, it wouldn't be, Mark, it's just three points, McGee, would it? It would be, Mark, it's only three points, McGee. Um, and also, the heaviest defeat anyone in the Premiership has suffered this season so far. Uh, before we get into the game in a bit more detail, just a damning indictment once again of our complete inability to foster any sort of belief when we play Celtic in Glasgow. Yeah, I, I don't really know. I don't really know what to add to that, to be honest. I mean, this isn't one of these, you know, a record that's absolutely woeful, but sprinkled in those woeful stats of defeats are some performances where we've actually been We've actually been competitive and it just hasn't been our day. But that's definitely not how you would describe uh, the performance from this afternoon. Just absolutely woeful and it's sometimes laughable. Yeah, and those performances that are sprinkled in there are very few and far between. Uh, absolutely. As well. um, straws clutching at, you can rearrange <laughs> in it the sentence I was going for. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. More often than not, certainly in my recent memory, so, you know, it's maybe not been six, but it's been that kind of just totally limp performance devoid of anything of note to take out of it as an Aberdeen fan. Uh, just, just embarrassing. I think the worst thing about today is as well is we just, from the very first minute of the game today, we just didn't even look like we believed we could get any sort of result today. And I know we've had a level of success with the 5-4-1. Um, we've had success with it when we've, been a bit more adventurous with the shape we've not when we've not just been sitting in and we've at least managed to make sure that when we got the ball we would commit players forward and try and break in numbers and be you know at times aggressive with our pressing and all that kind of stuff none of that was in play today at all we just sat back from the start of the game and it was no surprise I mean Kyogo should have had them one up after three minutes they only need another five to finally get in front and at that point the game plans out the fucking window isn't it let's be honest yeah, absolutely. I mean, on the assumption that the game plan was to keep it tight, frustrate, and like you say, with that formation, actually, we, you know, hasn't totally stifled us from an attacking point of view. So we we're probably thinking 
just get into the game and then, you know, we with Mijowski um, and our Duke coming on, you, you know, you've always got chances uh, or you've got decent players and great chances. But yeah, when you're when your keepers keeping you in it after the first couple of minutes and then after eight, it's one. You're right. Um it's inevitable what's gonna happen to us as soon as as soon as we concede down there, as has happened quite a few times under the current regime. Yeah, indeed. And that's part of the, I guess that's also the big frustration is that you look at Celtic coming to this game off the back of a absolute spanking in Madrid on Tuesday night. We come in off the back of a, a creditable result in Greece and, and a decent performance in the main there. Um, and you kind of think to yourself, well, okay, go if you want to go with the same shape, fine. I get why we would do that. I don't expect us to suddenly go 4-2-4 and really go toe-to-toe with them. But it's one of those where you go, well, see if you can try and, you know, Keep it, you know, keep it relatively tight with a bit of aggression for the first 10, 15 minutes. And maybe try and sneak something, you know, try and try and get their support on the back a little bit off the back of that poor result they had in the weekend. We just never look like it at all. No, absolutely not. Um and I don't know, I don't really know where you start. It's a weird thing, isn't it? Because it almost you start to look at this and you start to go, it's like a club-wide mentality thing, because yeah, this is different players this is the third different manager we've had since we started in the show um even under Derek McInnes often we would go to Celtic Park and play in this way where it just seemed like we were happy to get away with a 3-0 defeat and that's what we would do it's very bizarre I mean I saw somebody today talking about it and I was like bizarrely and I don't want this is not doing a whole revisionist piece about Stephen Glass the person who I think I've seen actually decide you know what we'll go to Celtic Park and we'll have a go out of everyone in the last little while was Stephen Glass, we had a really good performance at South Park under him. I think we got beat 2-1 in the end. But at least you felt, well, we're trying to do something here. Uh, yeah, with our record, you'd be as well to just try and match them. I mean, what difference does it make? You're probably going to lose anyway, but try and try and set the team up that you know, so sort of demonstrates that you believe in the players that we can go and take the game to them rather than almost kind of in the dressing room you know, you're not saying it out loud, but everyone's looking around going, oh, is that, is that our game plan? All right, okay. So nobody fancies our chances. I think now with Robson in charge for us, I think that's an aggregate of 15 nil in the three games we've played at Celtic Park since Robson it's came not in. great. It's, it's not it's suboptimal, I think, would be the, the way we look at that. Yes. Um, looking a little bit more closely at the game itself, four changes from the starting lineup from the, the team that got the 2-2 draw in Thessaloniki on Thursday night and perhaps to be expected that there would be changes um, perhaps through the areas that were rotated maybe not the ones that we need to see freshened up I mean a good example of this is the back line whether you rate them or not and I, I don't want to go down that particular rabbit hole right now but that back five in the main has now been consistently playing since the Hearts game at Tynecastle. yeah I without getting into who's good, bad or indifferent in that defence I, I agree just from point of view of trying to give guys a better recovery time. Um, I, I guess you look at it and say you need your absolute best defenders to go there. But you could also look at it and say, well, I record shit anyway. So give a couple of guys a, a bit of a break and, you know, it's all this, but so maybe something might change. But realistically, you're probably going to get, you're probably going to lose the points anyway. Um, so... I don't like saying it's a free hit because it's Celtic and we never win, but it doesn't really matter. We, we, we kind of it approach really it like that anyway, but we kind of approach it to the by almost like saying, "Well, we're not going to get any points here anyway." The way we play, the way, the well, way we, the play. Way we set up, yeah. So it's like, 
I don't know. I just find it strange that there's the areas in the middle of the park in particular are the areas that we seem to be quite happy to chop and change people at the moment. Yeah. But I'm also like, well, those are the players who are being rotated in and out every week. So therefore, one or two of them should be able to play a couple of times in the space of a week. Yeah. The back line, like I say, have basically played consistently since, like, well, hearts anyway, um, since Gartenman came in. And yeah. I do look at that and I just think, could there just be a little bit of freshening up in there? Not again, not to say any of them were necessarily at fault for the goals today. I think Gartenman could do better with one of the late ones for O when he kind of slides in. Yeah, the and I think the really... first one, McKenzie's got no idea that anyone's yeah. behind him. Exactly. Um, um, so, but yeah. again, it's, there's little point in going through everything and pointing fingers. I mean, collectively, yeah. that is just a rank performance. Exactly. It's kind of past digging out individuals really at this point, isn't it? I mean, you can't ship six and really have anyone in that team that performed to any sort of reasonable level. Indeed. Um, just just quickly again on the defence as well. I mean, defensively, I thought we were really poor all game today. Um, not just the defensive line themselves, it's just as a, a unit. Yeah. Really passive once again. And it feels like every single one of the goals that we can see today is avoidable. Yeah, because most of the, you know, you're watching the goals back, pretty much all of them have, like, the build-up is just basically Celtic knocking the ball around to themselves and then someone steps out of defence, doesn't really get challenged because we're all in our own half, it feels like. And then yeah. um, a couple of them come from, you know, good, good, clever passes. And some of them is just literally, like, you know, the, the first one to ball into the box. Um, at no point do you see anyone getting caught out by trying to press Celtic and you think, well, yeah. okay, that didn't quite work, but the right thing to do is to put pressure on them. They've just got all the time in the world. Uh, and that's, you know, it's just, uh, it's difficult to watch. Yeah. And I think as well, it's one of the goals for O late in the game as well. Like I look at our team at that point, I think, and this is where I come back to about the kind of like looking at maybe the backline needs a little bit of rotating or something. You know, it's a ball flung into the box. It's a really good ball, to be fair, by Palmer with outside the right foot. It's a, it's a yep. lovely ball in. Um, but, oh, shouldn't be above any of our three centre-halves to win that sort of header. That's Absolutely the type of thing that we should be dealing with. Like, yep, totally every agree. day of the week. Um, speaking about that, I guess one of the... <laughs> one of the is it a controversial moment? Probably not controversial from our perspective, I don't think, but it seems to be generating a lot of um, traction on social media tonight and after the game. The um, clash of heads between Rubicic and um, Kyogo. Um, Rubzic booked for that one I mean for me at the time I didn't think it was anything in it it's a 50-50 ball it looks worse in slow-mo but oh, ev everything does yeah um, but Rubzic actually wins the ball he's he's robust in his challenge it's fair to say um, got booked for it I must admit given who the referee was given the player who got um, wiped out by it and then given you know where it was being held I was kind of amazed it wasn't more than a booking but we'll quickly bring Bob in here because Bob's got a good question here for us about uh, Ruby I really am convinced Rubizic's head is like metal under there like like that scene in Terminator 2 where he, he's uh, he's working on his hand and it's all like servos and shit but it's just like metal under Ruby's head yeah what do you think, Graham? Is Rubizic T2? He might be onto something because <laughs> everything bounces off his head uh, and it doesn't seem to phase him in the slightest. Really I, I did kind of quite enjoy he was really he was lapping up playing the the pantomime villain for a little bit after that, which was kind of vaguely amusing. Um, but yeah, 
looking back through the, the rest of the team, I mean, Miofsky, I mean, Jesus, what a fucking poor bastard of a shift he had to put in today. Nothing to work with all game today. Which then begs the question as well, but why, oh, why, if, when we're talking about players needing time and rest and everything, leave him on for 100 minutes today? If there was ever a game you could have taken him off after about 50 minutes to an hour, it was today. Yeah. I would, and, and arguably, when you, I mean, this isn't really looking, this isn't really hindsight as such. You, you knew how the, the game was going to go. We would be, we would just let them have the ball, let them do what they want, and then we would just get rid. So arguably, why would you bother taking a chance with him getting injured or something like that? Because you're, we were never, ever going to be trying to help him out today. Um, total, arguably a total waste of starting him. Uh, and yet, totally stupid uh, to play him for the for the whole time. Especially when he moans about how tired we are. Yep, yep. And how we need to rest people. It's like, well, after so, oh, an hour, the boys after are tired, but I've been running them into the ground. Yeah, okay, after an hour really today, smart. there was no need to play. Okay, Miofsky didn't play very much in Greece in on Thursday night, but he's played a lot of football this season. Um, especially when he's required to play the this the the lone striker role as well. He does it with a lot of energy and effort about it. Just was like, well, put soccer on, or, you know, or, or even gay. I mean, like, I don't know. Just we've, we've got, got a squad. We've got no idea whether um, any of these boys are actually serviceable or not, and we're never going to yeah. find out unless they play. Yeah, no, no, I agree, I agree with that. Um, it was I, I can't really understand why we keep him on for as long as we did. Madness. Um, we touched a bit earlier on as well about Jack McKenzie kind of sleeping at the first. Um, don't know if he gets caught out because he thinks Roos is going to deal with it as well um, possibly but he should do better this is not something this is something we've seen a lot of from Jack McKenzie's a tendency to switch off yeah I think when I think he's entitled to expect the keeper to deal with it but your your better players are always aware of A you know who's around them so you should know that right okay I've got someone someone in the back post with me uh, and think your better players just anticipate well it's like he might get it but if he doesn't I should be in a position to deal with it, or at least be aware that there's someone basically going to be nodding it in if I don't do something. So um, I I point the finger at Kel for that one first, but then once the ball sails past the keeper, uh, it's pretty poor defending. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe a bit harshly dealt with with a penalty kick, do you think? I'm not so sure again. It's a bit like the one in Frankfurt. Um, he's just... It's just not switched on. Um, I don't think he's been too harshly treated personally. It comes about because he's on his heels, doesn't it? And yeah, he's too slow to react. Oh, gets a shot. I mean, for me, I don't think it's a penalty kick because Oh gets a shot away, and the shot is wide. It's not like you can really say that McKenzie's I, no, challenge. Nobody's getting that ball. Or, yeah, no, I know what you mean. The outcome. Um, but it's one of those again. As soon as it got pulled over for VAR, I was like, well, I know exactly what's going to happen here. There's no question about about this. It all comes, basically, if you're going to be making challenges like that in the box, there is a high likelihood, especially with VAR, obviously it can be reviewed. And then as soon as that's happening, it's more often than not, it's going to get given. So it's easy sitting here saying it, but continually, I feel like um, he puts himself in that position where he's he's making silly challenges like that. And yeah. probably more often than not, you are going to get penalised. And a lot of the chat a lot of silly challenges arise because of sometimes, like I said earlier on, he just gets caught on his heels a bit too much, I think. Yeah. The midfield today, just completely anonymous, start to finish once again. Um, 
it was kind of midfield four of Hayes, Clarkson, Shinny, and then Povara. I mean, I thought Povara put in a decent enough shift. He, he tried to get him. He tried to get around. Um, he was probably our most influential player in the centre of the park, I would say, which is not saying an awful lot. Leighton Clarkson never really got on the ball at all. I don't just, I just don't think it's a kind of game for Leighton Clarkson to be honest. He's not seeing enough of the ball, and he's not. I think we all know this. He's not. I don't think defensively minded enough to to play in that sort of role when you're trying just to play with two banks of, of a five and a bank of four. Yeah. Um, Shinny, I think, is really struggling at the moment with the, the Thursday-Sunday piece. I think it's becoming clear that he's not really capable of playing two games in a week. I think is that, I think it's fair to say that now. Uh, he's, had a, he's probably had more poor performances this season than arguably he had combined, combined yeah. in his first stint. Uh, so something... Is not right there. So yeah, it's whether it's just the games catching up on him as he as he gets older, because I guess his game is kind of around. Well, it's mostly around just covering yeah a lot of ground. So he's obviously putting in a lot of effort every single game. You know, there's something else that's not quite right, but uh, yeah, not not his finest no. performance by a long stretch. There were times today I I genuinely felt he was about ten or fifteen yards away from where he needed to be like quite continually, you know, and it was just one of those where like, that's not, if one of your kind of central midfield linchpins and the guy who you expect to be doing a lot of harrying, hassling, really getting in the face of set midfielders is that far away from where you think he should be. That's just tells you everything you kind of need to know, I think about this afternoon's performance. Um, Johnny Hayes as well. I mean, Jesus, where do we start with this one? A few, uh, th- this is the thing, it's like, we've spoken about this, I don't know how many times on here, I think we're all, or we're all, Massive Johnny Hayes fans. Um, I think today he clocked up his 400th league appearance in Scotland, I think, this afternoon by starting. Um, I had readied at halftime the Bernie Sanders meme of, I'm asking you once again to please retire Johnny Hayes. But this was a Johnny Hayes performance that uh, if he was a racehorse, and Johnny likes his horse racing, so it's, a, it's an apt... Um, Analogy, I think that it had the screens up and um, Johnny might be off to the glue factory, I think, after this one today. Just just a real shame. Yeah, I, think, I don't know how you would... I don't know if he has a sort of a legacy at Aberdeen. You know, there's a lot of appearances. For the vast majority of those, I thought it was excellent. Thoroughly enjoyed having Johnny Hayes represent Aberdeen, but it's just not happening for him. No, I mean, every week that goes by, it's harder to watch... And then what you also have is, I guess, people that are sort of the younger fans yeah. are going now. And it's kind of like a bit like the McGee. Like, to me, McGee is just a manager. Total yeah. disaster. <laughs> uh, and it, so I don't have the, the playing days to fall back on. Yeah. And I feel like there's going to be a generation of guys that I cannot understand how people rate Johnny Hayes. And then there'll be plenty of us like, no, trust me. <laughs> was seen him, there was a there time. There was a time. But it's just not, uh, it's just not happening for him. And I don't understand why why he's been put in that position. Well, that's the thing. I think it says more to be honest right now. Because I'm not saying he's not trying. I should be absolutely clear. I'm not suggesting that Johnny Hayes is just taking the money and coasting. That's not what I mean at all. It's just nothing seems to happen for him no. these days. You know, he still he still gets up and down. He's still reasonably quick, but he doesn't seem to be able to do the running and the dribbling. At the same time, the way he could first time round, you know, we yeah. could just push the ball past someone and away. 
everything just seems to be a little bit slower or the ball sort of ricochets around when he tries to control it. It's just it's just it's, not happening for him. It's, it's weird. not a lack of effort. Yeah, it's weird. He's still kind of trying to do everything at 125 miles an hour, including driving. Um, but there's none of that, what we used to see from Johnny with that pace and he still somehow had the ball under control. And yep. I mean, at one point today, there was, there was a, I think there was like a five or six minute period where he, at one point this afternoon, just dribbled the ball straight out of play. Like genuinely just like ran it out of the park. Um, under no pressure, really, which was really odd. Um, a ball got played into him on the touchline and he tried to kind of like flick it, like tried to kind of back heel flick it up the line, completely missed the ball and it went out and it basically not Megan, it looked embarrassing. And then there was the um the chance where he's put through <clears throat> on goal by Polvara. And I mean it's just that's a woeful attempt to first time finish. round Johnny Hayes, you'd be fairly confident. Yeah, absolute minimum. Joe Hart's going to have to make a save and more yeah. likely than not it's in but uh, yeah it's just um, I mean not only is it sort of disappointing to see his career wind down like that it's actually quite frustrating that we're sometimes we've got a passenger that we're carrying and you know, it's detrimental to the, the team mm-hmm. performance having him playing as many minutes as he did for you know today for example well, that's part of it. I mean, if you look at the midfield four today, you can make a reasonable argument that Hayes, Shinney, and Clarkson, to an extent, were, were kind of passengers, certainly in the first half. And that doesn't make it easy for the boys playing behind them if the entire oh, midfield no, of them is just non-existent, basically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, not not great, it's fair to say. And then let's just lastly, if we're going to just decide to, you know, to, to viscerate players left, right and centre... Kelrus, it's it's fair to say he came back from injury last season and had a really good end to the campaign. I don't think that's outlandish to suggest that he was quite instrumental, I think, in the back end of the campaign and us securing a third spot. And I think a lot of us were then looking to say, okay, fine, it looks like we've got a a, a good replacement now for kind of peak Joe Lewis. Um, hopefully he can now kind of kick on from that and, and really kind of like become a, a really solid goalkeeper for us it's I think it's fair to say and I don't think it's outlandish to say that he's not having the sort of season I think we were all hoping for no I think that's fair I mean today some good saves yeah he does make some good um, saves today does no make doubt. some good saves but, but there's no point like like the, the save from Zucchugo in the first couple of minutes yeah uh, you know is a, is a decent save and you're lucky that O'Reilly yeah. absolutely has a, a mare with a, the rebound so that's a good save to keep you in the game but there's no point in then flapping a, a ball into the box and uh, basically just selling the jerseys. Yeah, and that kind of how his game went. Today there were moments where you think, yes, that's what you need to be doing. And the other moments you just think, uh, seeing too much of that and I don't like it. Um, so yeah, it's not really... I don't know if that's just kind of symptomatic it might be symptomatic, of in general, yeah. the whole yeah. defensive unit. You know, I mean, that that run towards the the end where you had you know McDonald and Pollock and that kind of, that whole defensive unit... When it was all working, um, obviously that presumably does help your your goalkeeper. But I don't really think we're getting what we need. Um, I don't really have the confidence in him that I did have that you know latter half of uh, the season. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking back through the numbers. Actually, we've only kept four clean sheets this season so far um, in, t- in in the entire campaign. So um, not just league. Um, yeah. And we have conceded, I think, one, 
We've conceded two or more goals in 12 games this season as well. Um, and with the best one in the world, if you concede two goals in 12 games out of how many have we... We've played 11 league games and then a handful in Europe and a couple of League Cup games. Yeah. If you're conceding on average to you know to a game in the vast majority of games, that makes it very difficult to win football games. Absolutely, especially when obviously if you're conceding early or conceding first, so you're then behind and trying to get into the game, which kind of naturally probably means that you're there's a greater likelihood that you'll concede again as you're trying to chase the game. Um, it just all makes it really, really yeah, it just makes it really, really difficult. Uh, and I think we've we spoken about it in one of the other episodes where that almost it discourages maybe your midfielders or your forwards from taking a chance or trying to play a pass because they you know the the mindset becomes oh if I'm the guy that gives it away in midfield um, we always concede so so maybe I'll play safe but then you know that means Miofsky doesn't get the service that he needs or wants or whoever's playing up top so it kind of has a it just must impact the mentality of the team. Uh, and it's difficult to break out of it as well. It also puts loads of pressure on your front players and your midfielders because they feel that like they've got to score yeah. like every opportunity that comes their way because we're conceding so fucking many at the back. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas a team who, you know, last season we saw it when Robson came in, we became very solid defensively very quickly. And I think that allowed the attacking players as well, just to have a little bit more freedom, so to speak, because they're not so concerned that every single opportunity that comes their way, they have to put away. Um, and and that's I think that's that's definitely something that's, that you can kind of see as well. You see us a lot of time this season. You see it with Duke a lot, snatching opportunities. Yeah. Um, rather than, I think last season, you saw them being a little bit more cool, a little bit more composed. Anyway, um, there's a couple more points which we're going to call on tonight, which is probably more just around the manager now and his kind of, I don't want to say his future, but just where we're at just now. Um, so the first voicemail came in from uh, Gregzer, or, or Giz, as his, uh, as his handle is. Hi, lads. Just wondering what do you think Barry should do with his team next game? Surely he's got to change it up. We seem to be using the same 14 players every game in the same system. The same subs getting made. Someone's got to change, but that was fucking awful. Stand fight. This is Giz, and then Lee Ross as well. Um quickly dropped us a note as well. They're kind of similar themes, so let's go with that one and we can have a chat through them both. Hi, gents. Hope you're all well. Always enjoy listening to the show. So today, entirely predictable result. Performance-wise, well, we've kind of seen this performance before this season, haven't we? We've had some great results, let's be honest, this season. Some good outcomes. Very few great performances. And this was the latest in another line of poor, poor performances. Before we've got away with it today, obviously it bits on the arse. I just wonder if we're marking time with Robson now. Do you think he's really got the solutions? I just wonder if we get a heavy defeat against Rangers at home in a couple of weeks. Will that be too soon for them to push the button? Or are we just waiting until the end of December and the inevitable tanking by Rangers at Hamden? Interested on your thoughts? Bye for now. It's always fair to say, Lee, if people give us faint praise at the beginning of a voice, that we'll always uh, publish them. Obviously, that's how we'll do it. Um, today's result leaves us ninth, two points off bottom, 
only one point better off than a St. Johnson side who have been, and it is absolutely fair to say this, utterly rotten this season. Um, Lee makes a very good point about this. You know, it's all very well, perhaps, as putting in what you might class as admirable performances in Europe. Um, but in particular, domestically this season, I can only really think about probably the performance at Ibrox. Maybe Ross County at home, but I thought we were really huffing and puffing against County at home until we got the opening goal. I haven't seen many really good performances domestically this season. Um, and even then, when we've even performed the admirably in Europe, we've not really been getting results. Uh, no. The, so the European, yes, there have been some decent performances, but it hasn't, hasn't come to anything with the exception of Thursday where we actually you know, we got a point for our efforts. But league-wise, yes, it's been absolutely woeful. Um, and I guess you could argue you've got another what month or so of distraction yeah. in Europe. You know, you've got another couple of games, so... Um, but we're league positions woeful, uh, and clearly that needs to be addressed in every league that goes by. And it isn't; it becomes harder to try and battle your way up to the to that third spot. I mean, looking at the fixtures, I mean, Lee just touched on it there as well. About up next after the national break, we've got the home game against Sevco on the Sunday. Then we travel to Helsinki. Then we're away to Hibs. Then we're home to Kilmarnock, home to Hearts, home to Frankfurt. And then it's League Cup final. Um, you know, it's not an easy run of fixtures again. You know, Hibs of Easter Road's not been a particularly happy hunting ground for us in recent years. Uh, we'll talk about the Sevco game in a minute. Uh, Hearts games at Pataudry, you know, Aberdeen Hearts games tend to favour the home side, but we'll wait and see how that one pans out. I expect Dan McInnes' Kilmarnock to come up here and be very stuffy on the on the midweek game as well between those. Um, it's kind of a, it's, a, it's a tough run of fixtures there, isn't it? It's not easy, and it's like you say that's the biggest concern for me is that we've stumbled into a league cup final somehow, because let's all be honest, our performance at Hamden um, was was not great last week. Um, we were better actually after we went down to ten men, and we were probably slightly fortunate that it was Hibs we were playing, and so okay, great, we find ourselves in the league cup final. But as I said earlier on, league domestically performances on the whole have been poor this season I think genuinely I genuinely only think that the, the Rangers game is the, as a performance I would sit and say that was very very good um, Ross County like I say I thought we were not great in the opening stages you, you kind of never want to be back in the situation again where you're talking about the manager's position but I mean ultimately does the semi the semi-final result last week does that make it extremely unlikely that anything happens there until the final has been and gone uh, I don't know if that does. I think you just saw how long it took the FMB to deal with the Goodwin situation. I think that's what's going to give him time. Yeah, is um, indecisiveness. I, I, but I don't actually. I'm kind of on the. I mean, obviously sitting here right now, you've just been scudded six 0 I mean, that's embarrassing. It should never ever. Should never be happening. I mean, for me so, that for me that's a sackable offence. I, I know, and I, I see a lot of people saying that, and I can totally understand why you look at that and say. No thanks, because uh, it's not like it's a blip, uh, as in, you know, we've been unbeaten for X games, we've been on a hell of a run, and it's just one of these, what the hell happened there moments, but you're confident we'll just pick up next game and go on a run again. You know, it's just, it's another bad result in a league season of pretty bad results to date. Because um, even like last week, 
you know, mm-hmm. didn't change anything for me. You know, beating Motherwell was important uh, and we played well. Yeah. Fine. Actually, but hands up. I completely forgot about the Motherwell that, game. Because that, that actually was a good performance. We actually performance. played all right there, yeah. So hands um, up, I forgot about that. So two two performances out of, what are we at, 11, 12 games? Uh, 11 games in the league. So it didn't change anything for me because... We've you know we've we've picked up the other results. Like Ibrox been a good example where there's there's a performance in that team now and again, uh, and the management and the players and they all get it right. So Motherwell was kind of an example of that. And then the League Cup final, uh, semi final rather, doesn't matter how you do it, you just need to do it, and we did it. Yeah, we did. Yeah. But it didn't change anything for me because I I didn't see anything, um, especially in the the semi final that I enjoyed. Yeah, I um, mean it was woeful. Motherwell had a different decent performance, but then. <laughs> ship two goals. Uh, well, that's it. We're shipping our two goals, goals you know. Yeah. So, I guess where I'm going is I don't think it's time to change anything. But I don't. Last week didn't change anything because all it did was just kind of reaffirm that there is a decent team there. Occasionally, you can get a tune out of them, but when you look at the league table, I just feel like um, it's all still quite tight. It is. Our it... position's garbage. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is fine. But until the, I think until you've got another few weeks down the line, if you've not picked up anything there, there, there then I think it becomes really difficult. Uh, and I, then what do you, what do you do? If yeah. form is rubbish, do you want him taking your team out in a final? It's a big question. It's a big question. And it's a tough FFB. question. You know, I thought, uh, and I hope that we're not. I hope in a month's time, uh, or a little over that, you know, things have changed enough that we've got going a little bit in the league and you know hopefully things are looking a little bit rosier than they are at the moment but I think the main thing is and hear quite a lot of the commentators mentioning it uh, they use the the phrase pattern of play which basically nobody can really see what we're trying to do other than shell yeah. it yeah and I think that's what worries me there's no that's my biggest issue I don't see what we're trying to achieve here that's my biggest issue with it is that and I think we said this before on the show, and I'll I'll, I'll say it again that yes, and, and you're and you know we joke about it a lot. You're the you're the, you're the pragmatist on the show in the sense if you don't really care about style as long as we win games, right? Fine. The problem now is at the moment is that we're not winning games and we're not playing in a manner that makes me go. I understand what we're trying to do. And we're actually playing well and we're just being a little bit unlucky. Yeah. And, and you sit and you go, I can see what we're trying to do, and therefore we just need a bit of luck to break our way, and you could see things suddenly spinning. And this is my biggest bugbear, I think, with the with the Robson thing. And it's interesting now seeing more and more pundits talk about this, about the kind of patterns of play and style, and it's not clear what the fuck we're actually trying to do. And that's the bit where I always come back to the part about um Stephen Glass to an extent, is at least you could see what they were trying to do. Whether you thought it was the right approach or not, and I don't think it was the right approach for Scottish football, you could at least see that they had an idea about what they were trying to achieve. And they might have been misjudged with it and they were maybe really naive with it. It's probably fair. But you could see what they were trying to get to. Goodwin, I felt the same with Robson and I really never felt that Goodwin knew what he was trying to do. Yeah. Not in a, he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> kind of no, way. I was no. like, I, I, and I've, I'll still stick with it. I think Goodwin was coaching against his own natural instincts at Aberdeen. Uh, yeah, I think we're just conflicted as to what, what he said he would do yeah. or what he's been asked or told to do versus you know what you would naturally yeah do because I appreciate it's the division below but I mean Scott Dundee United winning more often than not 
that's you know it's a reasonable degree of pressure in that job. So it's you know it's a fairly high profile job as well, arguably. So he's not he didn't become a bad manager at Aberdeen, but it didn't work. And I know what you mean. A lot of that time, so I have no idea what we're what are we trying to do no. here? Uh, because you'd go through a run of games, so it's like we're we're not scoring and we can't defend, and then all of a sudden we're scoring for fun, but we still can't defend. Yeah, um, yeah it was difficult to figure out. And th- there are parallels, I feel. That's my worst thing. I, I feel like I'd love to go back and listen to an episode from like November last year and be like, is there kind of similar sort of like yeah. bits where we just go, I still don't really know what we're, what we're trying to do. That said, in November last year, under Goodwin, going into the World Cup break, we were sitting in third position when we went into that break. And right now we are seven points off uh, third spot. And I've seen a lot of people as well again. And it's a fair point. I'm not going to say it's not. Talk about you need to give a manager time. And he's had, you know, big turnover players and all that kind of stuff. And he's, you know, he's, he's learning and all this kind of shit. But then I look at Dundee and I go, well, Tony Doherty is in his first ever gig as manager. Dundee took in more players, I'm pretty sure, than we did in the summer window. And he's currently got Dundee five points ahead of us in the table as we stand just now. Um, do you, does a manager really need that much time to gel a team together? Uh, I don't know. I mean, although that's Doherty's first gig on his own, he's obviously very experienced. So he's got that. And you could argue he doesn't have the distraction of the additional games that we have. But then that's what we we claim we want as the club. You know, we want to be... Yeah winning cups or progressing to finals we want to be playing in we Europe we can't point at those as negative things well I don't think so because that was the stated ambition yeah was to yeah. get fired and get into Europe you can't then be saying oh this is a bit of a and you pain in the arse what you yeah. wanted exactly and to be it. fair it's like what I want I would say you know, I want the club to be going as far as they can in the Goal cup competitions, competitions and I want yeah. them to be in in European group football as well so Ultimately, with the budgets we have in play, we should be, and I know football's not played this way, but we should be there or thereabouts at the semi-finals of each of the competitions, minimum, every season. And we should be there or thereabouts in the top four of the league. You know, unquestionable based on where your budget sits. And that's just a bit that, that is a bit I look at and I go, well, you're right, Doherty's got experience in the game, but he also had a massive turnover of players at Dundee in the summer and presumably working on a shoestring of the budget compared to what we're working on uh, yeah yeah I would imagine he's got uh, a fraction of it and he's got them um, you know scored as many goals as we have um, conceded five less although probably that was a big bonus today I imagine for them mm-hmm. um, five points further at the table so it doesn't you know I, I don't know I don't know if I buy into the argument about you need to give these guys so much time I guess people will then say well let's wait and see what happens at the end of the season but Based on the run that Dundee are on, I think Dundee are probably going to be safe this season, and I think that'll be a massive success for Tony Doherty and Dundee, to be honest. Um, the other thing is, well, the, the big problem, again, with a, a result, and more importantly, the performance today, you know, we spent a lot of this week, a lot of Aberdeen fans, myself included, um, you know, really bemoaning the, the, the ticket situation for the League Cup final, the fact we're not even being given the opportunity to try and sell 50% yep. of the tickets at Hamden. Um a result of a performance like that, though, is not likely to encourage people to want to head to Hamden, are they? To face a a Sevco side who are kind of they've found certainly some form under new manager Philippe Clement, even if they do have the added benefit of a lot of favourable decisions working their way. Yeah, it's been been ignoring actually going away to the European 
games. I feel like that's kind of like a a choice you make. I feel like yeah, that's the, the, a home, the home games are arguably not because you would you know every fan's going to want to go to any games. So it's been it's been quite an expensive start to the season in terms of uh, yeah. games played and tickets etc. And then obviously you're coming into an expensive time of the year as well. If forms if form is rank for people who are you know, having to make those choices around, well, if I go to the football, I'm maybe not doing something else because you've, you know, you don't have unlimited resources. It's it's going to be a difficult sell. And then obviously that just plays into the hands exactly of the, the jokers that run the game. They're like, oh, well, you know, we told you so. Um, so, yeah, it is, it's, it's difficult. Um, but yeah, another few weeks of crappy results. And I know it's a cup final and I guess one-off game, anything can happen, but, it's a trickier choice to uh, stump up the cash for your ticket if we are still hovering around ninth in the league. Well, I think it is, especially if you just think your team's just going to go and put in a really passive performance yeah. and not actually have a go. That's the bit for me is the biggest problem. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Like, why would you decide to stump up the cash a week before Christmas just to go and watch your team pull in a performance like they did today? Um, yeah, no, that is a... I could sit in the pub and watch that point. and leave after half an hour if that happens. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not going to help matters anyway. That's that's definitely for sure. I mean, I just a really really it feels like a real roller coaster of a season already. This one because it feels like you know you're you are almost like a couple of steps forward, or maybe one step forward and then a couple of steps back. It feels and this definitely feels like a week or a result today after a decent performance in um, Greece after getting through the semi final somehow. Where you kind of say, I think I talked about it in the BBC column, or maybe Gavin and I talked about it after the semi-final game last week, where you kind of go, okay, you stumble through the final, you should use that now as a launch pad to try and, you know, push forward for the rest of the campaign, and then you get a result in a performance like today. Yeah. Um, it's kind of difficult to know what to make of it, to be honest. How big a miss do you think Jay McGrath? Well, Gav's not here to talk about Jay McGrath, big miss today. What does that mean for the scoreboard? Does just does Jamie McGrath gain points as a result of his absence? He's probably glad he'd bust his hamstring. Yeah, indeed. if that is indeed what happened. Um, I think uh, like I should say as well. I was pretty. I wasn't particularly impressed at the signing. Of course, uh, you were here on Thursday, so you can talk. He about has. Uh, he's so far so good. So I think on a serious note, if he is out for any period of time, that is not good news. Indeed. Right. Well, that's depressing enough. Will we finish up on this afternoon on that note? Yes. Okay, let's do that. As far as other news from AB24 this week, not much, I don't think, um, that wasn't covered in any of the other two episodes that were released earlier in the week, other than, I guess, I think we missed this. Um, the young team making it into the final of the Aberdeenshire Shield after what was an impressive 5-3 win against Bucky Thistle at the semi-final stage. So well done to them. Yes, that is a very good result. Indeed, indeed it is. Um, for the Quines, no game this Sunday. Next up for them is a rearranged fixture against Partick Thistle. That takes place on Thursday night at the Balmoral. Kickoff there is quarter past seven. And then also, similarly, no game either for the young team. Their game with Queen's Park postponed. For them, got a free week next week. And then they've got a couple of weeks off the international break, which means they've got no games either at this level until the 1st of December. So there we go. On to Lone Watch really quickly. Uh, Kieran Nguyen, no place in the squad again for him as Park Thistle beat Morton 2-1 in the Championship. Evan Towler missing in action once again as Montrose drew 1-1 with Ireland Athletic in League One. A result that I'm sure burst a few coupons up and down the country, especially a certain Chris Carr. Uh, Alfie Bavage at Kelty Hearts. 
another start, another 90 minutes under his belt, but they lost 1-0 at home to Cove in League One. Aaron Reid off the bench for the final three minutes as Peter Head beat Stranraer by three goals to two in League Two. Liam Harvey, Blair McKenzie, Elgin. Harvey with a start and assist as well as Elgin threw up a bit of a surprise result as they beat Bonnie Regros by two goals in the League Two. McKenzie an unused sub in that one. Dylan Lobin and Adam Emsley for Martin United. Both started Lobin scoring a penalty and I think was awarded man of the match as well as for Martin beat, sorry, as for Martin and Brora played out a 3-3 draw at Pitt Medden. Finlay Murray for Turra, another start, another 90 minutes for him as Turra beat Rothis by three goals to one as well in the Highland League. Curiously, Graham. Kevin Hanratty, Bucky Thistle. Uh, we were at the locals Bucky game yesterday, and no place for Kevin Hanratty once again in the, in the Jag side. Uh, a Jag side who ran out two no winners at Harlow over the Chuff Chuffs in the Highland League in what was a barn burner. Uh, there was that I don't know, was it sort of ten minute period in the second half where the referee was certainly letting the game flow, and it did look like it was going to descend into an absolute riot. Definitely the best way to think about how the referee decided to to approach that one um, yesterday. Which again highlights the sort of um, hypocrisy of being a football fan because in the first half where he's blowing up for everything, it was like, oh, come on, ref, let the game go. That's never a free kick. And then obviously where he just lets them yeah. beat the shit out of each other, it was like, oh, come on, ref. It was good to see that Ray Bradshaw's got another career other than being a, a top comedian <laughs> and part of his supporter to be refereeing at, at Locos yesterday. Uh, an interesting game because actually I thought Locos actually played all right in the hole and um, yeah, just not quite got the cutting edge at the no. top end of the park. If you like, no, I think they're I, that's only one game, but I think their position in the table almost feels like a little harsh. I don't think they were that bad. No, I don't think so. But hey, there we go. Let's move on quickly from that. Jaden Richardson at Stockport County. No place in the squad as Stockport were beaten. Uh, sorry, as Stockport beat Swindon 4-2 in League 2. And then big Tony Stewart. No place in the squad. Once again for big T is MK Dons drew 0-0 with Newport County. Hud me back for that one in League 2 down south. Graham, will that do us for this half? I would say so. I think it will. Join us after the break for part one of our exclusive interview with Joe Lewis. This episode of the APZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Doan Co. on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Enjoy freshly topped donuts, coffee, milkshakes, soup, pies, bagels, and much, much more available every day of the week. Come along and enjoy their daily deals such as black coffee and a mini donut for just £1 or a bagel and a soft drink for only a fiver. Join the guys seven days a week on Belmont Street between 8 and 8 and available 24-7 at yourdonutshop.com. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast and before we move on to our exclusive interview with Joe Lewis, just a quick shout out to those of you who continue to make your contributions to the Beer and Coffee Fund. We acknowledge you, your bread's appreciated, it's much appreciated. Head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ Football Podcast, the link is in the description. It is appreciated, thank you. Time now for the latest in our line of exclusive interviews with Don's personalities of past 
and present this week, part one of our chat with a man who joined Aberdeen on a free transfer in the summer of 2016, went on to make 271 appearances for the club, becoming club captain in the summer of 2019. It is the one and only Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis, welcome along to the ABZ podcast. How's it going, mate? Very good, thank you. Yeah, yeah, enjoying a bit of um, bit of rest away from uh, football at the moment. But um, no, yeah, I'm good, thanks. Good. Thank you so much, Joe, for taking the time to join us. Um, it's been something we've been looking forward to hopefully getting to do with yourself for a little while now. So it's good to get it done and dusted. Um, let's just get going. Let's, let's, let's go back to the very start. So born October 1987. Um, can you remember just like your kind of first memories of football, whether that was playing or as a fan of Norwich City, who obviously were your boyhood, boyhood team? Yeah, I mean, I signed. I signed for Norwich under ten. Uh, their academy. Um, I think it was the first year of like being an academy, or people calling it that anyway. Um, but yeah, my my first memories of football are probably going back watching Brian Gunn playing goal for Norwich. Um, I remember I was at the game when he broke his. I think he broke his ankle. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Um, I, I want to say it was either, I think it was Nottingham Forest. It might have been against, I'm not sure, maybe someone will correct me. Um, but yeah, I remember that. And I remember him sort of getting stretched off and um, also remember him sort of doing a, an air kick um, against Ipswich Town, similar to the one I did at, uh, at Maribor. Was it Maribor? Was Maribor, Maribor yeah. yeah. Um, and he actually phoned me after that to to sort of talk about it. Um Something, something to relate to. Uh, but yeah, they're my first memories. But Brian Gunn, obviously watching him, knew, knowing I was a goalkeeper myself, I was a goalkeeper from a young age. So I used to watch him um, and they used it my first, my first taste of it. Because the guys, regular listeners of the podcast will know that the three of us on here, actually our English team is Norwich City, which is not an, a, not a very common thing in the northeast right. of Scotland, obviously. So okay, yeah. uh, there is quite a nice uh, similarity there, obviously. And you just touched on it. Always a goalkeeper, Joe, growing up. Always, yeah, played for the school outfield just for a bit of a change up. But um, yeah, always a goalkeeper. I've got, I've got an older brother who was like, two, he's two and a half years older than me. So he played football outfield and he needed a goalkeeper. <laughs> I was I was there and uh, and tall. So um, I was always sort of pushed towards being a goalkeeper. Um, I like to think I was decent outfield, but you know, goalkeepers always think they're good outfield and they never really are. Well, you say that. I mean, you did get obviously run for the England under twenty ones up top. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuart Pearce has got previous for that with David James as well. I don't think it was any reflection on my ability as a striker, <laughs> more of a, a reflection on his management, maybe. <laughs> did he already have your shirt printed up like he'd done with David James? It? No, no, he, yeah, he hadn't. He just we had um, a few little injuries. And it was a build-up game to the European Championships, and he just turned around and said, "Do you fancy going outfield?" Said, yeah, why not? Um, but it was it was crazy really because it was the shirt number was num- so my, my first shirt number for Norwich was 32 I went alone to Morecambe I was 32 I was alone at Stockport my shirt number was 32 I went to Peterborough my shirt number was 32 and I through no choice of my own that my shirt number was 32 and then when I went up front for England 21s my shirt number was 32 um, even the white one the outfield one so um yeah, no, it was a, a weird experience that I didn't, do you know what, it was, I didn't really enjoy it. <laughs> um, uh, just, it's all right playing outfield for your school or with your mates, but when you're playing with, like, top players, um, you just felt a pressure not to, not to look stupid, really. 
<laughs> just touched on it there. So you made your way through into the Norwich Academy system. Um, and I think at the time of writing this, and maybe you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I think you still hold the accolade of being the youngest ever player at Norwich to have been given a squad number because um, you were drafted into a squad in... 2003, I think, after some injuries to maybe Robert Green would have been. Yeah, I was, I was still at school, so um, I don't think I think Robert Green was still playing. I don't think he was injured, so it was Robert Green. So I mean, when I was I was sort of 14, 15, I was absolutely flying. I was playing really well for, and I was 15 playing in and under 19s, and like just like standing out, doing really well um, in the England setup at, at my age, um, and yeah, doing really well. So. I was probably actually the third choice. So you'd have Robert Green, a guy called Paul Crichton, and then you'd have the youth team goalkeepers, of which I jumped ahead of two of them. Um, and they were sort of under 18s and the 19s, and I was under 16s, but I was playing ahead of them. Um, AD Bouvroyd was the manager at the time, and he was just sort of like, you know, if you he didn't care about age, he just saw that I was doing well and I had potential and he, and he, he was playing me in the 19. So that sort of naturally put me third choice at Norwich. And Paul Crichton got injured. I think it was box for the Boxing Day game. I don't know how, how injured he was or if he just fancied the Christmas off. So yeah, I was 15. I was still at school, still in my GCSE year. Um, and yes, on the bench for probably about eight games, I think. Um, in the, I think, it was, I think it was maybe a promotion season, I think. And then the following season in the Premier League for a few as well. Just touched on it as well. I mean, I go, you had loan spells at Stockport County, Morecambe before, then uh, big spending at the time. Peterborough United approached Norwich in January 2008, looking to make you what was at the time their record signing for about 400 grand, I think it was reported at the time. And, and at that point, you would have been what, maybe 20, something sort of, sort of age? Yeah, I was just um, 20, yeah. Uh, yeah. Big decision for you to make to kind of leave your boyhood club at that point. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to go. Um, strangely, I suppose, you know, Norwich was my team. I've been there since 10. My, my whole family were season ticket holders. You know, I was a season ticket holder until I got free tickets. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, you just stand behind the goal singing and cheering the team on, went to playoff finals, everything, away games when I could. And then got to 20. I must say, I'd broken into the first team squad and was training with the first team from 15. And then that was probably, in a way, not a good thing because I sort of got a taste of it straight away. And then I'm thinking, right, I'm in the bench at 15, right? By 17, I should be, I should be starting, you know, naively thinking that in my head. And I got to 19, hadn't played a first-team game anywhere. Uh, went on loan to, to the clubs you mentioned. Went on loan to Morecambe. Had two two of the best games of the first six months, well, my six months there were against Peterborough. Um, then they came in, made the offer for me. And I just... I went and spoke to him, spoke to Barry with my agent at the time. Uh, I spoke to Barry Fry um, and Darren Ferguson. Uh, Darren took me around the, the training grounds. My agent and Barry were having a chat and then just came away. I mean, I, it was everything that I expected it to be and a bit more really, but I just just wasn't sure. Came away uh, for a couple of days, went home for a couple of days and actually went to the to the Norwich training ground the next day to, to train because I hadn't made my mind up. And Glenn Roder, who was the manager at the time, sort of pulled me in and said, "Look, I thought we sold you, mate. You know what are you doing?" <laughs> Pretty much, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a nice exit. I was quite bitter, I think, when I left because I didn't really want to go. I was pushed out because at the time Norwich was financially struggling, and they were thinking, "Well, we've got four hundred grand for a guy who's not playing in the team. Let's take it." So, um, 
so yeah, I was, I didn't want to go, but actually, yeah, as it turned out, went to Peterborough in League Two for six months, got promoted, got promoted straight away with them again from League One to the Championship. So um, it was a hell of a journey at, at Peterborough because we actually, I actually didn't, wasn't at the club for, I was in the club four and a half seasons and never played in the same league twice in a row. Yeah, I was just going to touch on that. It's, it's almost like it's a pretty successful spell initially at Peterborough. You just touched on it. Back-to-back promotions in your first 18 months there. Yeah. Um, which sees Peterborough get up to the championship. And also then that's when you get your first call-ups to the England under-21 side as well during that spell. Um, replacing Joe Hart at halftime in a friendly against Wales for your debut. And then, you know, 25th of May 2008, it's not long since you've really been uh, at Peterborough. You get the call-ups to the full England squad from Fabio Capello ahead of some friendly matches against the USA and Trinidad and Tobago as England were getting warmed up for the, the 2008 World Cup finals. I mean, that must have been, you know, playing under 21 football is, is one thing, but getting that call up to the, the full squad must have just been ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, looking back on it, it was, you know, it wasn't because I was the third best goalie in England at the time. You know, I'd been away with the 21s. Um, Stuart Pearce was the manager at the time. He'd been with the first team squad as well. I think they were sort of looking, potentially looking at him to sort of give him some experience in that environment. Um, and he was he was with Fabio Capello um, helping out there. And I think uh, Chris Kirkland pulled out the squad with a back injury and most other goalkeepers might have, who were in contention for it, of which it would have been probably, you know, half a dozen that they might have picked would have been on holiday or had not been training for two or three weeks. And I thought, I think, I think I thought it was a friendly, there's two, two friendlies, David James and Joe Hart were the, the goalkeepers and just bring me along for some experience because I've been with the 21s. So, I mean, what an experience it was. Um, USA at home, Trinidad and Tobago away. Um, some of the names in the squad, you know, Beckham, Skulls, um, you know, Gerard, Rooney, just just littered with with massive names, Lampard, Rio Ferdinand. It was just after actually the Man United and Ch- uh, Chelsea had played each other in the Champions, uh, Champions League final. Yeah, final. So it was a bit awkward, really, <laughs> there um, in the squad afterwards. I think there's been there's been quite a few podcasts and you know players talking about the atmosphere in the squad around that that, that, that sort of time. And it was a bit separated. I, I didn't feel like it was a like a brilliant welcoming squad to to be a part of at the time really um what well, incredible experience the season in the championship it's a really difficult one obviously for for peterborough you think you go through three managers yeah. um as relegation back to league one is confirmed but then again you're an integral part of the, the side that makes it to the playoffs the following season instantly and i thought i was reading just when we we're going through my research obviously you played half a game against the mk dons with a fractured kneecap in the semi-finals um which meant you missed the final against Huddersfield, which Peterborough win to secure promotion. But that must have been really frustrating to miss out on that trip to Wembley, having been such a massive key part of that that team for that season. Yeah, do you know, like the final that year was actually played at Old Trafford. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know whether there was this international games or what what the reason was, but the, the final was at Old Trafford, so I didn't actually miss out on the game at Wembley. I missed actually, out. Yeah, I forgot all about Trafford. that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I came sliding out for ball. Um, very similar to the one where I actually technically broke my leg against Rangers. I got a sort of a, a, a fracture when uh, Anthony O'Connor slid into me. So almost identical, but a clash of knees with my defender. Um, thought it was, you know, when you clash knees with anyone, it's very sore. Thought it was just a very, really bad place of that. But then it started swelling up and the manager just wouldn't take me off. <laughs> so I was sort of waving over and he, he sent a video around with some paracetamol. 
Um, so I was like, okay, give it a go. Got to half time, and I was like, this is just not working. Tried a little bit, taped it up, and all sorts. But no, it was no good. It was it was fractured. It was my, my patella was in two pieces. So um, so yeah, it was yeah, it was incredibly disappointing to to miss out on a playoff final. I haven't, I haven't got us got us somewhere there anyway. So um, but yeah, that's football, and uh, yeah, we thankfully we we got through. There was as well during the, your spell, Peter, a lot of speculation about a move for you potentially to the Premier League. I think there was the likes of Aston Villa and stuff reportedly putting in bids for you at the time. As a player, you know, how distracting can that be when that, that noise is all going around in the background? It was distracting, I think, to be honest. Um, for me at the time, I probably wasn't mature enough to deal with it very well. Um, I handed out a transfer request because I felt like it wasn't being dealt with properly uh, in hindsight. Bad decision. I don't actually ever think there's a good time to hand in a transfer request. I don't. I can't see really ever how that benefits anyone. Um, lots of players have done it. I would never advise it to anyone because it's um, it just alienates you from uh, at the club you're at and can just become a bit of a battle rather than working together to try and get what you want in the club, get what they want. <clears throat> um, so yeah, it, it, there was a bit of interest, um, but. Yeah, nothing materialised. Nothing. I don't actually think there was any any firm bids. So um, I had an agent at the time that probably wasn't helpful with that side of things. Um, would tell me more what I wanted to hear than actually the truth. So, um, but you know, that's what can happen. Um, that's that's football. But you know, I, I wasn't sort of experienced enough to to recognise that at the time. At the end of the 2011-12 season, so that's when you leave Peterborough at the expiry of your contract, make the move to South Wales to join Cardiff City. Um, Cardiff win the championship in your first season there. You're named in the Cardiff squad as well. At the, kind of, at the time, you had to name a 25-man squad, I think it was, for the Premier League. Um, Premier League debut against Hull City following in September as well. But game time's a little bit hard to come by with David Marshall, who's the number one at the time at, at Cardiff. And then after Cardiff's immediate relegation, you make the loan move back to uh, move, loan move sorry to Blackpool for the 2014-15 season, and then again the following season you end up going out to Fulham on loan for the 2015-2016 season. After that spell at Fulham, like we becoming just at that point kind of a bit more frustrated, you're just not getting that opportunity to show you know what you could kind of do at Cardiff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I yeah, the first I had no qualms of it. That Dave Marshall was absolutely flying for the two seasons I was there. And he had a great season, the season got promoted and then in the Premier League he was just pulling out save after save and yeah, we got relegated but he was the keeper of the season in my eyes. I'm not sure if he actually did. I think he might have actually got in the team of the season that, that season but he was he was brilliant. Um, I wasn't getting games so yeah, I went to Blackpool that was at the time when Blackpool, Blackpool was an absolute shambles. Um, the owner wasn't um, the guy that the club that anyone wanted there it was poor facilities, poor poorly run, and then going to Fulham. The opportunity to Fulham came up with a, a couple of injuries. Um, I initially went and didn't play. I ended up playing, I think, nine games for the uh, in the championship for Fulham. But in a struggling Fulham, Fulham team, really we were bottom end of the championship, um, and then you know I was out of contract. So obviously, in a summer we have. Um, when you're out of contract, you're looking, you're looking about waiting for your needing your agent to to be um, speaking to people. And to be honest, Aberdeen was the the first the first phone call, the first one that came in. I was just going to touch on that. So obviously, it's, it's a couple of weeks after you leave Cardiff that um, it's announced that you signed up at Aberdeen on the free. Um, Derek McInnes had obviously at that point overseen you know a significant turnaround in the club's fortunes over the prior couple of seasons. Um, 
did you kind of need much persuasion at that point to make the move north to Scotland? Uh, no, not really, because although Derek is brilliant at that, persuading people and talking and he's got the gift of the guard, definitely, as you know, he's, he's the way he talks and and uh, you know he makes players feel a million dollars. I didn't need a lot of persuasion, to be honest. Um, the other team that had showed a bit of interest was Hearts. Okay. They were um, saying they were waiting on another goalkeeper to sign, and they sort of said, you know, if if he doesn't, I think it might be Matt Jilks at the time. Um, we'd like you to come along. So, um, but then Aberdeen came in, and I was like, look, let's go for it. Um, at the time, I thought I'll sign a two-year contract because bit more security. I've been out of just had a seat somewhere out of contract. And it's not a nice time for a, for a player. A lot of people think out of contract, great, you know, rubbing your hands, getting their sign-on fees and all that sort of thing. Doesn't happen very well. Doesn't happen all the time. Didn't happen to me. Um, hadn't played a lot. Was a bit worried about what the next step was. So I had a, I had a, uh, a, a wife, a young, a young child um, and didn't really want to had to be careful about the next steps, you know, dragging people, family around. If, if it doesn't work and I go all the way to Aberdeen, it doesn't work, then, you know, it can be, it could have been a miserable time. But, yeah. you know, I went, signed a two-year contract for a bit more security and, you know, absolutely loved it straight away. I was going to say, when you joined up with the club and kind of your new team, teammates and everything, can you remember, like, what were your initial thoughts of the club itself, the dressing room you were joining? I mean, at that time, we didn't have the training ground or anything like that, so you would have been training at the barracks and places like that. Um, a bit of a shock to the system compared to where you'd come from? Yeah, I was, I was, it wasn't a shock to the system in terms of like, I was happy to do it, but I was surprised that we, we were jumping in minibuses to go to the training and back um, for a club that, you know, of Aberdeen's size and supporters, the support, the history and the support that they got and, and got, um, you know, that was, it was surprising. Um, obviously that was it. Clubs, well, Aberdeen spoke about getting a new training ground for a long time, and luckily, within my time there, it did happen, and that was such a massive thing, I think, for the club. Um, but yeah, it was the changing was great. Had some really good, good characters in there, you know, um, Johnny, Kenny, um, you know, and then Jaden Stockley signed with me, who went went on to be, you know, good mates and still speak to him now. Um, Adam Rooney, you know, was, there was loads of loads of good lads, Reynolds. Um, Shay, so yeah, some really good top lads in that in that dressing room. Uh, it was really good fun to be to be involved. It makes it make, makes it really easy to get involved and to to, to join a new club to, and to be welcomed when you got good lads like that. Um, so yeah, that was that was. I didn't find it difficult, um, and um, yeah, I'm, to be to be honest, the hardest bit was actually bit of, you know was personally you know my dad got really ill. Uh, I was being at the the. The club a week, and my dad had had a, had a stroke, um, and was was seriously in hospital. He was in hospital for for a year, um, so that was probably the hardest bit about being having just moved away from well, further away from my dad to then not have that for a year really of of being able to get down and see him once a week or whenever whatever it could have been. Um, so you know, these are sort of everyone has personal stuff going on. Yes, but. Um, for me, that was the most difficult part. Mm. Um, but what really helped was starting starting the season well with Aberdeen. And I think once you get a good start at a club, it's really important. I think if you get a bad start, it can it can go the other way. But I felt like I really um, 
got stuck in straight away and and um i think it's, it was important that my family came up with me as well my, my, my wife and my, my son um you know rather than thinking about trying to commute back and um i sort of got myself engrossed in the in the city straight away as is often the way with these things there's very little time for you to really get a chance to kind of settle in properly i think it's just 15 days after you sign and um, the first game comes around by a 3-1 win against Full Esh at in the Europa League preliminary round, first leg. There's then a nerve you return leg in Luxembourg, and then we managed to navigate comfortably past uh, Ben Spiels to set up a tie with Maribor. Before we come at the Maribor game, just briefly, I mean, for players coming from England, um, for example, how how big a draw is it coming to Scotland and a team like Aberdeen where you have that chance to experience European football? It might not be something you'll have the opportunity to at a, a Cardiff City, for example. No, and I think also the other thing, I mean, Cardiff's slightly different. They did actually get to cup final, the cup finals, the opportunity to, to compete at the top end of the league, cup finals, and European football is is huge. Um, it it potentially should be bigger now with with the carrot of third place being um, getting your possibly group stage, depending on what the cup situation is. Um, but look at what's happened. You know, it's, it's much. Um, it's not easier because I think the league's more difficult, uh, but it is. There's less games to get through to mm-hmm. for, for European stuff. Um, yeah, it probably is easier. It probably is easier to qualify for a group stage these days. Um, well, definitely. You had, you, had to, you had to get through six games when I first signed. Yeah. Um, I think at one stage we went in the first qualifying round and that would have been eight games. So um, you always, the first one's always, an, uh, I say an easy one. Foleres should have been easy. It wasn't easy. Um, we actually nearly went out, didn't we? That would have been a, horrendous result for us um yeah it was uh that is a draw definitely so again go back to your question that is a massive draw because the experience of going away and you don't realize it i don't think you realize it until you actually do it that the experience of it is massive and you and you you know you're lucky to to be a part of that the home game against maribor is one of those classic what could have been games i think we absolutely batter them in what's a really really good performance but we end up having to rely on a late Johnny Hayes go to draw 1-1 to set up the return leg in Slovenia. And that return leg, I mean, I was there. Um, the boys from the, the pod were on it as well. I mean, that decision early in the game not to allow Adams go to stand, instead pulling it back for the penalty kick. And we just got nothing from that ref all game, did we? No. Um, Jaden did two, two sent off. Yeah. Two, oh, two, goal, two kicks for me, I think it was. He's jumped for the ball and got booked twice. Um, and then, obviously... Um, yeah, I just felt that something didn't really sit right. I've, I've, I've never, ever been one to accuse referees of anything, but something just didn't smell right that <laughs> game. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, um, it didn't it didn't feel right. Everything, literally everything went against us. I mean, how often did Adam, Adam Rooney miss penalties? Not very often. Um, and then obviously to top it off, um, I, I missed, um, well, the ball bobbles over my foot from a, Graham Sheeney back pass, um, which actually, you know, looking back at it, at it I can sort of laugh at. Um, it it didn't actually make a difference to the game. Yeah. Um, I think we were going out on away goals anyway. But um, yeah, it, I got it sent to me quite a few times. And actually being, I look back at it now, and I think that happened so early in my career at Aberdeen. Um, it didn't even... Seen, it didn't seem to make a difference. I think, I think looking at, I don't actually think there's anything I can do about it. The ball's running flat, completely flat until I go to kick it and it bounces. So, um, but no, it was a, 
Yeah, certainly a shake. But again, that's another one the experience, the experience of European football. Um, and that's what I did think actually this this season, um, going into the European stuff, when we first um, you know, look at the squad, there wasn't loads of European experience in, in our squad. Uh, and you know, you say what is experience? Well, it's just about going away, realizing how the referees can be sometimes, realizing the atmosphere in these places sometimes. Um, but you know, to be fair to the lads, um, they've put in some good, good performances in, in Europe this season. You just touched upon there the we'll call it an own goal from Game Machine. I think we should, we should, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it is a horrendous bobble because I still remember we were at the, the Aberdeen support was at the opposite end from where it happened. And you could see quite clearly just how how far the ball had jumped up over your foot when it happened. I mean, as a goalkeeper, mentally, how important is it just to kind of take things like that, compartmentalise it and kind of move on from it just as quickly as possible? Yeah, I think as a goalkeeper, um, I've always known instantly when there's something I can do about a goal. Every goal that I can see that I'm at fault for, I know instantly. There's not like a case of where I think, no, that wasn't me. And then I realised, oh, actually it was me. Um, and not only did it bounce up, yeah, it sort of bounced away from me as well. It was like a shame-worn leg break. Um, and yeah, it was, there was literally nothing I could do about it. It was rolling completely flat. Um, it wasn't really time and space to take a touch. Um, we had to get the ball forward. We had to score a goal. Um, and it just took a horrendous bubble at that time. But yeah, you, you, uh, it, it didn't in the least bit affect me because I knew... I didn't feel anyway that it was anything I could have done differently. Um, and if I would have done differently, had I, um, you know, gone back and, you know, without knowing it's going to take a bubble, there's nothing I could have done. So I didn't, it didn't really mentally affect me at all because I, I didn't feel like at the time it was my fault. I mean, certainly Aberdeen fans have been crying out for a, a quality goalkeeper to arrive in our ranks. We'd had Danny Ward the prior season um, before Liverpool recalled him in the January. I think it's pretty fair to say that the, the Aberdeen sport really took to you pretty much straight away. Because um, I even remember at the back end of that Maribor game, I think you'd came up at the back end and, you know, occasionally you'd maybe have a scenario there where the goalkeeper's going to get pelters for whatever reason when that happened. And that certainly didn't take place then. How much does that help as well when you're moving to, you know, a new club, a new country, a new league, when you just feel that the support's totally on your side as well, helping you settle in? Yeah, I, I remember... Um, I think a big part of it was was a chat with Derek before I signed in the build up to the start to the first few games. Because remember Neil Alexander signed the day after I did, and That's I, think, right, yeah. I actually think Derek possibly told us both that we were going to play. <laughs> um, I don't know for a fact, but I can't imagine Neil Alexander was driving from Glasgow every day for training. <laughs> you know, he would have done that. I wouldn't have thought to sit on the bench, but I don't know. Um, but Derek said to me, you know, he felt like we lacked a big bit of physicality in the team before the, the season before. Um, and he wanted to bit, get people a bit more height and presence. Um, he said, I want you to be commanding. I want you to be on the front foot, coming for things, dominating, commanding your box, everything that a manager would say. But I just, it was the first time, crazily, really, first time in my career, I felt like a manager really um, had signed me for a reason. Mm. Not just because, oh, he's a good goalie. He actually, look, he, this, is what we, this is what we want you for. So when you're told that, right, okay, that's what I'm, that's what I'm here for. That's what I need to go and do. Um, so I was trying to go on the front foot, come for crosses. And I felt like I was sort of um, coming and, and commanding my box, collecting a lot of crosses. Um, yeah, I just felt really like it went really well from the off. And yeah, the crowd and the supporters got behind me straight away. And um, yeah, just felt like I had a great relationship with them instantly. 
Yeah, and it's it's a pretty remarkable first season for you at Aberdeen. I think you play every minute of every game um, in that first season that sees us finish the runners-up in every competition too. Um, Brendan Rodgers, Celtic, of course, who went that season unbeaten. Um, how frustrating was it for the team that season to just do so well on all fronts domestically, but just not quite be able to get over that line? And, and particularly, I guess, that Scottish Cup final, um, that late goal from Rogic must have been a really hard one to take. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. It was a it, uh, the cup finals. Are just they're great. They are good experiences, um, but still have nightmares about the last minute goal. You know, Rogic in there. I think it was the um, infamous Kenny and Johnny. Yeah, and um, I'm not sure if it was a bad pass or a bad finish or. <laughs> um, but yeah, that still haunts me a bit. Um, because you know, I look back at my career at, at Aberdeen, really real fond memories um of a lot, but I just I just wish there had been that silverware that that didn't quite come. Um and we had like I say we had three cup finals in two seasons that we um again that that, that one in particular was very, very, very close. But um yeah, that's probably the the only sort of bad memory, so not bad memory, but Thing that hasn't quite topped off my career at Aberdeen was not quite getting something like that the, the silverware yeah I think as you know uh, a lot of Aberdeen fans will probably look at that 2016-17 team and put it alongside the team from 92-93 I think who just that team deserved to win something They're, you know just for what, what for what happened that campaign it should have happened just after that Scottish Cup final because I think I think you might be the first person we've spoken to who played that game where we touched on it oh, well actually we've maybe spoken with Reynolds actually but what was what was what was it like in the dressing room after that one? Was there much said, or was it just one of those where it's just everyone just you know you've emptied yourselves out in that game and it just is what yeah, it is? It, it was. I mean, to be fair, it was back against the wall for the last sort of ten minutes. They were it was um, one way traffic a bit, um, but again, I think it were that team. Um, we had a, it were always the counter attacks always uh, always on. Um, and uh, yeah, it just the dressing was up. It was absolutely close. But if you lose a cup final, there's never much said after after it. The, the three that I played in and lost, there's never a great deal. There was one. I think the one we lost three nil. Was it three nil? Yeah, the first one that season. Yeah, yeah. I think that one was. Yeah, we were really disappointed in, in the way we played in the performance level. Um, I, don't, I think in that the the, the um, Scottish Cup, there wasn't there wasn't any of that feeling. I think you just absolutely. Absolutely gutted. Felt like that was an opportunity for us. Yeah, yeah. That that season also saw us just jumping back a little bit into earlier in the, that season. We raid us. Sorry, that saw us raid your old club, Norwich City, to take a certain James Madison on loan for a six-month spell. Um, obviously, he managed to write his name into the Don's history books with that free kick winner against Rangers at Pataudry. But when he arrived here, was it kind of obvious to the squad and everyone that this is a kid who's going to go on and have the kind of sort of career he's had to date? Yeah, I didn't know much about him, um, but. Uh, yeah, I never thought he'd go into what he has done now. I knew he was a special player. I knew he'd play at a really good level. Um, you know, he, he would get like three or four or five nutmegs per training session. You know, it was just, it, at times it felt too easy for him. Um, and he had that that free kick, the delivery that he had was was, was pretty special. But I, there was actually a time toward the end of the season where, um, I don't know whether it was whether it was true or not, or, or whether it was whether we were or we weren't. But I think Derek actually felt towards the end that we were probably playing um, a bit better when he wasn't in the team. Mm-hmm. He went through a little phase of not playing him, 
Um, and me and me and James Madison had uh, the same well had agents with the same company, so I chatted to his agent, and you know he was sort of a bit disappointed it wasn't playing as regularly, and it was a strange one really because he just he won us he just got kicked and kicked and kicked and won so many fouls. Um, but it's probably just the final little end product wasn't there, the goals and the assists and that sort of thing wasn't yeah. quite what it went on to be. Um, so I mean, but you could tell he just so gifted because there's, there's definitely an argument there I think because he left in the January didn't he Norwich recalled him and Ryan Christie came in instead and there's probably mm. a, a decent argument to be made that Ryan actually had a bigger impact on the team for the six months he was here rather than the six that, that Madison was here um, except for Madison's free kick against Rangers obviously um, in the aftermath of that Scottish Cup final as well you kind of start to see the team break up a little bit it was the first time that had really happened under Derek um, Johnny Hayes obviously moves to Celtic now McGinn makes a brief sojourn to uh, Korea. Adam Rooney, uh, Mark Reynolds kind of start to become used less and less as starters. Um, but on your return from summer holidays, you sign a three-year contract extension to keep you at the club until 2020. Um, I take it after that initial season you'd had, that wasn't a particularly difficult decision to make. No, absolutely, I absolutely loved it. I could, you know, yeah, we had a, we lost a, a couple of players, but, um, you know, I had full belief that Derek was going to sort of correct that um, and and bring in a few players and yeah it was just it was really enjoyable I, I, again like I think I've said before that I didn't plan on staying at Aberdeen as long as I did um, I think a lot of players English players that come up here think um, well, up to Aberdeen um, think yeah I'll go and get some games get myself back in the shop window that's certainly what I thought um, got there and loved it absolutely loved it and the football I just just really enjoyed my football again which I hadn't done in a lot of, in a long time um, the back end even from the back end of my um, days at Peterborough um, the last season and a half there didn't really enjoy it I hadn't enjoyed it for a few years all of a sudden get back to really finding out that I, that I do I do really enjoy playing football again and um, and yeah the family had settled um, and was enjoying living there Graham Shinney takes on the armband that summer as well. Um, I guess just talk to us really quickly about Graham as a captain. What's he like to play with when he is the captain? And did you also notice a difference in style in him when he returned to the club in January this year? Well, I remember being at a club thinking um, a lot of people saying to me, he's a left back, you know, he's, he's a really good left back. He played the odd game there, did really well. But um, we all know what Graham Shinney gives to a team. Um, in centre midfield, especially, he, he's tenacious. He doesn't doesn't let up. Um, and every day in training, he's like that as well. It's not just like he just turns it on for for a game. Every single day, off the pitch, very you know good lad. Um, probably a bit louder in his second spell actually, but yeah, but just pretty laid back and uh, just a really nice nice lad. Um, but just an absolute animal on the pitch. And uh, just drives, was driving the team forward. Um, and he gives the crowd a lift as well. Um, when he bites the tackles like that, intercepts stuff on the front foot, and he gets his fair share of bookings. But um, but I think, especially in Aberdeen support, um, love, just absolutely love, love that, style, uh, that type of player. And uh, he was, yeah, great to play with because he just gave, you, gave the whole team energy. Despite that turnover of players, we finish your second season with the club in second place in the league again. Um, defeats to Muddle and uh, sort of Muddle twice in, in the League Cup and the Scottish Cup. Um, but the League Cup defeat sees the emergence of Scott McKenna in the first team. 
was it a surprise just how well he kind of took to playing first team football? Because he came in off the back of the defeat at Fir Park, as I recall, and the kind of centre defensive position was his then till the end of the season, pretty much. I actually take full responsibility for <laughs> Scott McKenna's career because I remember the game. It was it was I had absolute shocker, three nil, two and three quarters were my fault, um, and came into the changing room, sort of held my hand up, apologised to the boys because it was a shocker of a game, um, and and Derek sort of said that I'd done more than enough for the team in the past, and not warrant having to apologise and proceeded to rip into Reynolds <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually Reynolds got dropped I think for Scott um, but I, Scott Scott had been out on loan had nothing really happened but I knew I, in training I knew he was a really good player he had every attribute mm-hmm. um, decent in possession um, just had that aggression real aggression he would you know the Simple things, the ball gets cleared up to the other end of the pitch and he sprints up the pitch, gets a, gets the team up, gets a, gets the whole team up the pitch. Um, aggressive over his head. He had every attribute you'd want from a from a, a centre-half and he's left-footed left, left footed as well, which gives that balance, um, which sort of a good left-footed centre-half is uh, just has even more value, I think. Um, so, yeah, he, yeah, I take full, took full credit for that, that one. Getting a cut out of, his, of the club's sell on fee there, <laughs> yeah. isn't there? No, I should be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, in September of that season, we play Hearts at Murrayfield, and um, this is unquestionably the Joe Lewis show. It's an unbelievable performance by yourself, meaning that we somehow leave Murrayfield with a point and a goalless draw. Where does that one rank in Joe Lewis's like performances? Your your best performances, would you say? I think it has to be one. I think it has to be one. To be honest. Um, yeah, just, I mean, I've played in games, I've made loads of saves, but not of that level. It was probably three of three very, very good saves, even though I do, do say so myself. But no, it was just one of them days, it just felt invincible. Um, and you come off the pitch just feeling like, I don't know, just felt like you're never going to get beaten throughout the, throughout the day. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know whether the fans enjoy being that far from the pitch. <laughs> Um, but we took loads down there as well. I think it was like 7,000. It was 7,000, I think, yeah. yeah, which is nuts. Yeah, it was incredible. And I was just like, that was, yeah, that's that's definitely one of my best memories of of being in Aberdeen shirt is is Murrayfield because, um, yeah, I just, just a, a day you just feel invincible and you feel like nothing's getting past you. Quickly, that season, maybe just while I remember about it, we'll touch on it. During the... Um, like some of the goings on that happened the kind of November, December that season. So Rangers dispatched with uh, Pedro Cuxinha and it becomes clear that Derek McInnes is their number one target to take over at Ibrox. And there's a lot of speculation that takes, I think it went over like five, six weeks, I think at one point. And there was a period where Derek had been given a couple of days away, I think, to kind of consider mm-hmm. what to do. That also fell off the back of a memory, serving right, a double header against them that we lost um, both of them. As a, team as a squad how difficult was it for you guys there to try and focus on the football when all of that's kind of swirling around um i think it was tough um i think ultimately you know when you go up to train um you go and train you, you play football when you go up to the game you know see it's a distraction is probably the chat you have the chats you have before the game you the only distraction you maybe get i think did we go on to beat dundee 
We played Dundee on the Friday night and won one nil, I think. Oh, it wasn't the one where we were. It wasn't the seven nil. It wasn't Andy's no. hat trick. No. no, that's right. No, it was. You're right. You're right. It was. Uh, we, we went and won there, but I think you just maybe don't have because there's because Derek wasn't there for a couple of days. You don't have a a leader. You the manager's not there. You're not discussing tactics with it, and and you're not training with tactics. You sort of training just to keep yourself ticking over. Um, so. When you hear, when I hear things, oh, it's a massive distraction off, which for me, I don't really think that's a huge thing. Uh, it wasn't for me. I think maybe it's different as a goalkeeper when, you know, your job's to keep the ball up in it and you can be a little bit selfish from that point of view. Whereas you can just think, right, I've just got to, if the ball's up, I have to come for a cross, I'll come and get it. If it's there to save, I'll save it. So my role didn't change a great deal in terms of playing the game. Um the lads who maybe aren't in the team or on the fringes of the team, not sure who's getting selected, lads that are out of favour, maybe thinking they might get a chance if a new manager comes in, that sort of thing maybe comes into play. Um, so, yeah, it probably is a little bit um, unsettling, um, but I don't think it's a massive distraction. Can you remember, was there a kind of gut feel at all amongst the squad that he was going to go when he was away thought, for those thought, two I days? I, couldn't, I couldn't believe that, he, that we saw him on the Friday night. No, it, it, I couldn't believe he was... He was he hadn't gone because, you know, if he's, the clubs have agreed it, he goes and speaks to them. Once he goes and steps foot through the door, you assume it's getting done. It very rarely breaks down after that for a manager, um, knowing Derek's background as well. Um, you know, it seemed like it was, that was definitely going to happen, but um, but it didn't. And, uh, you know, we were, we were really pleased to see him back. I was going to say, it must have given the squad maybe a bit of a real boost then when he did come back in again, because as I touched on, the cup form, we get to the semi-final of the Scottish Cup, but we do finish second again that season. Um, you know, and Rangers' budget at that point still would have absolutely just dwarfed what ours was at the time. So it was still a, an incredible achievement to finish up second that season. Into the new year as well, and you just touched on a minute ago, there's another fixture I brought. You pick up that injury we touched on earlier on, CJ for a couple of months. It must have been really frustrating that one, because you'd been just ever-present since you'd been at the club. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was the first injury I've, I've had in, in a long time. Um, again, any injury I got in my career um, was always an impact injury. It was very, very rarely pulled muscle or anything like that. It was a collision, um, you know, whether it be sliding into a mine defender or diving into a post or something like that. You know, it's it's uh, um, yeah, it was very frustrating. And initially, it was, I knew it looked bad initially because it was just there was two holes in my shin basically um going through to the bone and you know i feared the worst because it was very really sore at the time um it actually wasn't as bad it was it, it was a de- depressed fracture so it was um it wasn't like a complete break it was just basically two two stud holes in the bone um so they healed slightly better and less less sort of um so painful less um, weak anyway they, they don't weaken the bones much so um, but yeah that's the uh, first time I've been out of the team really frustrating but um, I actually recovered fairly quickly considering the injury and that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ football podcast thanks for joining us please remember to like subscribe follow whatever you might do on your podcast player of choice join us next time Graham yes thank you for episode 136 of the show We'll preview the visit of Sevco 5088 Limited to Pataudry under the new stewardship of their Belgian Paul Le Guin. And we'll bring you part two of that interview with Joel Lewis. Look forward to seeing you then. Stand free.
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds!